Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Photography Chat. Um, we're at season two, episode 46 with uh, Tim Brugo from uh, Kodak. So let's get Tim on here with us. And... Hello, Tim. Hi, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you great. Let's see. You're there we go. Through there. I've got like writing on my face, so I'm just trying to get used to all this, all this thing, all these things going on. This is a, this is new technology for me. <laughs> it's a little different, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun though. Like I, I've been really liking this format, and and the guests have really been liking the format of just having this sort of um, like live ch uh, chat, and then they can interact in in the in the comments down below. Uh -huh. And uh, here we got Michael from uh, Retro Photo York there. Um, hey, Michael. <laughs> and then, you know, Alan from, uh, well, he used to be at the Leica store in Boston. Now he's doing his own thing. He's, he's creating oh, some cool art. Yeah, absolutely. I know Alan very well. Yeah, Pablo in here. And then Dan. Dan's going to be a guest here soon. Oh, and Chris. He has so many great people. And right before I was... Uh, getting ready to, to come online here, uh -huh. my lady knocked on my door with a FedEx package and uh, the timing couldn't have been better. <laughs> you, you shocked me. This is, this is a photography chat first. You mailed me something. Oh, oh so you, I mean, you just got it? I literally just got it. Like, oh my gosh. Two minutes before jumping on here. And uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Like, you know, the, the card is so cool. That's, I like that. The usual suspects. Yeah. No, and, you're uh, yeah. Yeah, you're you're like um <clears throat> your calligraphy is amazing. Like that's just uh that's beautiful. Like the, the oh. handwriting is so so nice. Thank you uh, so thank much. Thank you very much. Yeah. And then I, your your I, I'm, I'm old, I've had many years of experience just trying to get that cursive just right. You know, they, they taught cursive uh in my in my in my school in the day. <laughs> I, I was on the tail end of that. I remember we had to learn cursive until like, I think it was like grade four, and then it stopped. <laughs> like it just okay. stop, stop already. And uh, I, I love your card. It's kind of funny though. It reminds me of like uh, my real estate lady gave me a very similar kind of card. <laughs> it's cool though. Yeah, they've been uh... the, the coolest cards at Kodak because um, I remember Matt when he was giving his cards away. He's got it printed on the, the negative. Oh, right. Matt Stoffel, right. They had a, uh, they started putting it on uh, uh, the color print film. Yeah. Right. And that, that was, that was a pretty cool one. But, um, you know, thank you so much. I, I like the, the Kodak, the Kodak bag here. And uh, some of my favorites in there. Like it's, uh, you can never go wrong with the Tri-X. And right. uh, Portrait 400, is it like a rarity right now, I hear? Yeah, we uh, just got a truck in, so the pipeline should be filled in the next uh, couple of weeks or so. So, so has it just been, um, the demand has just been so high for, for the stuff that it's been hard to keep up? Yeah, you know, worldwide demand uh, has just been really incredible the last 
couple of years, actually since uh, COVID. I, you know, it's just been, uh, I think a lot of folks have uh, gotten out and started, uh, you know, doing personal work. Um, some of the wedding photographers that I know, um, when the weddings were postponed and canceled, uh, they got into more personal work, taking uh, images of their family or friends and just uh, stepping back and creating, you know, product, uh, you know, for themselves. And so I, I think that the 35 millimeter, uh, that's when 35 millimeter kind of really exploded. I think people like reached into their um, closets and found the grandpa and grandmas and their fathers and, you know, parents, um, 35 millimeter, whether they're SLRs or point and shoots, and they just took them out and started running with them. So, yeah, because I, I, I'd heard a rumor that like Polaroid got themselves in a bit of a pickle because with COVID and everything, they anticipated that sales would slump a little bit. So they like throttled production back a little bit. And then the mm -hmm. exact opposite ended happening where like people were stuck at home, they wanted to create mm -hmm. stuff and they wanted to buy film and it just created like this weird ripple where they didn't have enough stock and then it kind of, they've been playing catch up. Yeah, well, you know, part of that was probably, you know, some of the supply chain as things closed down, you know, New York City, you know, the first several months uh, closed down, the shops were closed. San Francisco had a similar, you know, issue where, you know, the municipality said, hey, you know, you can't have people in the stores. So, you know, there was some suffering going on in some of the retail outlets where they had to um, pivot and create, uh, you know, a, a quick online store or the ability to um, uh, purchase and then, you know, offer curbside pickup. So, I mean, yeah. everybody was like pivoting and trying to figure out you know, how to do commerce in a very difficult situation. Yeah, San Francisco was, was an interesting experience because I, I was there the weekend it was shutting mm. down. Uh -huh. um, they were putting on the Policon Bay Area that weekend. And um, when I left Canada, we didn't have any travel restrictions yet. And so it's like, I didn't know about isolating or things like that. And when I came home, they're like, you need to go home and you're not allowed to leave for two weeks. And I'm like, what? Oh, wow. <laughs> it was just really wild to like watch the city shut down around us over that weekend. Mm -hmm. Like I got there on a Wednesday and like Wednesday night, it was kind of weird. And I was staying with a friend and he was like, there's this thing, man, like you could stay at my house, but like you stay in the basement. I'm upstairs. Like if we hang out, mm -hmm. like you gotta stay away from me. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like this is, this is interesting. And then it just it weirder as we went further into the into the week and into the weekend and um, yeah it was, it was probably before all the masks were even available right right I mean it, yeah like masking wasn't even really a thing at that point either <laughs> and it was when the um, the quarantine ship was in Oakland and oh oh, oh yeah right yeah and we uh, we took the uh, ferry over to go do a photo walk in Oakland. And uh, like, as we were going by the um, the docks there, we saw like the, the quarantine ship and it was like, kind of was like, that's the ship. Like that's where the sick people are. <laughs> it was kind of <laughs> wild. Like 
while we were walking through Oakland, uh, Brian Brooks got a call from the place where we were supposed to meet up for tacos and beer after the photo walk. And they were like, yo, you got to get here in like the next half hour or you, you can't be here. Cause like the governor's just like shut things down. Mm -hmm. so, like if you guys get here like in 30 minutes, it's all good. But like, if not, no tacos for you. So it was like, <laughs> all right guys, we got to go get tacos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely got to get fed. I mean, usually you can't starve in San Francisco. There's so much uh, variety there. Oh, there's so much great food there. Like it's, yeah. it's one of my favorite cities. Like I think San Francisco and Boston are like, you know, two of my favorite places to go, but San Francisco mm -hmm. definitely has like the number one spot there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate the invitation, you know, to be on with you and to, to chat. Um, but uh, I know I, I have a broad experience. I think I had, mentioned to you that uh i mean i've started as a you know yearbook photographer in high school in 1972 you know and that's where you know i fell in love with photography and um you know when just when i joined kodak 42 years later to this point you know now i'm you know managing you know the professional film business so it's been an, an exciting um run for me and a career of both putting together uh, an avocation and a vocation together and uh, just you know really proud of the fact that I'm here today and and representing um, you know a wonderful product. Uh, yeah like Kodak is definitely um, one of my favorites. I've, I've got a plethora of Kodak shirts here in my um, <laughs> Like, you know, I, I'm not a very good grown up because like I'm, I'm 40 in like a week and a half and m I mostly just wear t-shirts <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of them are Kodak ones now. Cause I, I did a factory tour with Matt in 2019 and then ended oh, up nice. buying a bunch of stuff while I was there. Um, but yeah, going to like the yearbook stuff. So it's like, did you was that what got you into photography or do you have an interest in photography before you started doing the yearbook stuff? You know, actually it was the, the yearbook. It was almost simultaneously where my um, parents went to Japan. And in those days it was like 360 yen to the dollar. I mean, and so uh, like a Canon FTB uh, camera that my parents brought, uh, brought home was like $150 for the body and like three lenses. It was uh, just, you know, in, incredibly priced, you know, back then. And so, of course, I was not able to use that camera um, right off because it was brand new and it was my dad's. So when I uh, joined the uh, yearbook staff in my sophomore year in high school, uh, they gave me a, a Yashica mat. And so my first uh, camera was shooting medium format with the Yashica mat uh, camera. And um, and the, the interesting story in connection with that is that the, the, I just, they, the uh, uh, staff said, hey, we want you to practice with this camera. So I went out to an air show at the local municipality and um, and that particular day, I, you know, I can't forget, it was uh, 
you know, September 24th, 1972, that I, you know, went to this air show and it just so happened that this jet uh, failed to take off and it ran into a, a ferals, um, killing like 22 people. And I was like across the street from this, uh, well, maybe two blocks away from this ferals when I, I saw, I was waiting for my dad because I wanted to leave early to have my dad uh, pick me up. And I was just waiting and I saw this jet uh, ready to take off. And it was, it was one of these like little fighter jets with the hole in the nose. And it, and it, was, it was taking off, but it was so low. I'm going, oh, it's not, it's not gonna make it. And um, it, it didn't, it took out a fire hydrant, a car, and ran into a ferals and it, uh, you know, and then it blew, there was this big plume of smoke and fire. Um, and uh, I, I did not have the guts or the photojournalism in me to go over there and take pictures. I just kind of stayed where I was and just was going, I wonder what happened over there, but it can't be good. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a that's a wild that, first experience to that's the first yeah isn't, isn't it i mean it was just like oh my that gosh it sticks with you um i feel like dan has a question for you uh how was shooting medium format as your first surely it must have been confusing starting off <laughs> yeah. right you know looking down in that viewfinder and the shika mat i was just like it, it did take a while um to uh to get used to that orientation, no, no doubt about it. Um, and I think it was because of that experience that, that I went home and I showed my dad, I said, this is the camera that they're gonna ask me, uh, you know, to use in your book. And I said, can I please use, you know, the Canon FTB, please, please, please. <laughs> you know, he got, my, my dad's favorite expression uh, in, uh, was, Hell's bells. And so he would like go, hell's bells. How are you supposed to take a picture with this thing, you know? <laughs> so uh, I think that convinced him to let me, uh, you know, use uh, my my dad's, uh, his Canon FTB. And he had like a 100 to 200 zoom uh, that, uh, that was with it. Um, of course, it had the 50 millimeter, which was great. And then I ended up, buying lenses for the camera um, myself. Ultimately, uh, I ended up buying a, uh, well, this is another silly story, but my dad ended up buying me a Canon F1. Um, one of the, his favorite shops was Tokyo Electronics in San Francisco. He went to San Francisco, came home one day with a Canon F1, and I go, wow, this is, thank you, dad. And he goes, well, don't thank me because you're going to pay me back. <laughs> and I go, what? You didn't even take me to buy the camera. <laughs> you bought this camera for me and bring it home. And, you know, it was, it was like, he goes, yes, it was $550. And I'm going like, you know, he knew that I had made a lot of money and for my summer job and I had the money, but it was just like, Wow. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> you know? 
dad savage <laughs> yeah dad dad was real pretty was terrible <laughs> yeah you know i was i was like looking for this gift but no wasn't gonna happen so do you um, still have the f1 and the ftb or no the the ftb ended up uh you know breaking down the f1 um i ended up selling when my uh when my kids were about one or two and uh i i just couldn't keep up with them in the in focusing mm. and so i i uh ended up getting trading it in or selling it and getting an eos you know system so had to get that auto focus and you know, all going and then uh and then ended up uh getting another F1 later. Um, and, uh, and also now I have my dad's Canon A1. So he, he, uh, he had graduated from the FTB to an all automated system with the uh, Canon A1. But you know, Canon through and through uh, to this day. I won't hold that against you. On yeah, on thirty five millimeter. <laughs> Admitted, admittedly, uh, you know my my favorites today are the uh, Pentax six seven two, and I also shoot with a, uh, <clears throat> a Fuji six four five uh, a GA a GA four five wide. But, hey, so no, don't laugh because my cousin from Japan gave me the camera, so it wasn't like purchased with my own money. It, okay. uh, you know, it was, it was actually, uh, you know, my, my cousin, um, he was in Hawaii, uh, in living in Hawaii at the time, but he, she shot with a, uh, a Hasselblad and also with this GA and he stopped using the GA and we were at family dinner and he go, you know, uh, and he had the camera and I said, Oh, that's a really cool camera. He goes, yeah, I stopped using it. And, uh, I said, well, you know, I, I shoot, you know, a lot of film, uh, you don't want it. You want to sell it? He goes, oh, I'll just give it to you. So he gave it to me. So I've had it since. So it's, uh, it was a good, that was a win. <laughs> <laughs> I, I put, hey, look, I put black gaffer's tape over the, you know, so no one knows. I, I've had to, um, I've had <laughs> to eat some Fuji Crow recently because, um, I've definitely been public about my disdain towards Fuji. Um, I'm frustrated with them for a lot of different things, but recently I started using their digital cameras and um, they make a pretty fucking nice digital camera. Mm. And mm -hmm. I begrudgingly appreciate it. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> it's hard to be like, I really like this, but it's like, but I hate you so much it feels like an abusive relationship. <laughs> and then I've, I've got a GW690, which I absolutely love that camera. And it's, um, it's one of my favorites to um, you know, light money on fire with. Yeah, no, my, um, my predecessor uh, before me had had the 690 has a 690 as well. And uh, we, uh, we went to uh, Yosemite together and uh, yeah, he he said this is this is an amazing camera. So I could only imagine how nice it is. Oh, it's so 
it's so cool like i um i was in toronto recently and i brought a bunch of um medium format film with me and the gw690 and mm-hmm. one of the roles i shot was uh some double x which is like oh. one of my favorite black and white films like i I absolutely love that film. And I'd asked Matt, I'm like, what's the secret behind Double X? And he's like, I'll find out. And then he did. And he's like, I'm not allowed to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't mean- <laughs> Matt, Matt, if you're looking, you're such a tease. I don't know if you joined, but you're such a tease. <laughs> but, you know, he's a great guy. I, I yeah. absolutely adore Matt. But just the, the Double X is so cool. And I've shot a ton of it on 35 mil. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of it on six by six, but shooting it with the six by nine, like getting those scans back and looking at those negatives, I was just like, damn, like this is nice film, but also like the the Fuji lenses and like just having like a negative that's like yeah. huge, just such a yeah, it's it's cool. Yeah, and so sharp. I mean, I've I've heard a lot of great things about uh, about the lens. Of course, I, I you know I experienced it too in the uh, 45 millimeter of the GA. It's uh, it's a fun. I mean, I it's my cheater street camera that's two and a quarter. That's autofocus, auto wind, and you know it it takes all the uh, hard work out of uh, taking the photo for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, Jero JPEGs asks how shooting the GA. Yeah, you know some sometimes. Uh, you know, it, it misses the focus if you're, I mean, if your subject is, uh, uh, you know, you, you kind of do the pre-focus and sometimes if I'm too fast or I'm not too careful, uh, sometimes I miss the focus, but otherwise um, it, it's, it's a great, it's a great fun camera. It, it has all the, I mean, it has, it, you can do the plus, uh, you know, plus or minus exposures. It has a flash. Hey. yeah it's great it's a great camera yeah those are I've, I've been really curious about that one and then the bronica um six four five autofocus one mm-hmm. that's kind of a cool looking one i had a friend in texas that had one and uh it looked really cool so oh, oh. yeah the only other thing is like the the click to capture i know that you know when that's kind of a term that's used with digital cameras that, you know, click to capture where you click and it kind of takes a little while for things to, you know, to happen or the shutter. Sometimes that, you know, with the GA, you know, the, the click to capture time is, is a little slow. So oh, it's just a little laggy, a little laggy. Yeah. Oh, weird. You wouldn't expect that from a film camera. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I really like the 690 is it's just, it's all mechanical. So ah. it's just um, not a lot to go wrong with it. And, you know, when you fire it, it just, it just goes like it's, yeah. um, it's a cool camera. I, I have a lot of fun with that. And then I recently got sucked into the Leica world, which I never, <laughs> I never anticipated. And I never understood until a friend loaned me his M3. And then I was like, shit. <laughs> Like, now I want one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I had my chance uh, when I knew the, uh, yeah, I mean, when I was going to all the trade shows, 
10 years ago when I first, uh, you know, inherited the film business and hung around the Leica guys. And, you know, I just, I just didn't pull the trigger, um, you know, with where, when I had the opportunity, but it's, that's okay. I, you know, I don't want to be seduced into the Leica, Leica family uh, just yet. I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah like I never thought I would I was just like I don't get it you know but then after using one I'm like okay I get it now and yeah I, I don't really, know where's where's Alan, Alan got a deal in there I don't know you know come up come <laughs> up, Alan, <laughs> Alan <laughs> what, do you, what do you have in your closet <laughs> <laughs> um so going from like the yearbooks and stuff like that, like how, how did you get into Kodak? Like what was the, the genesis that led in, into that progression? Well, yeah, just, just my interest in photography. One of the in, uh, interesting things, well, I mean, I, I took photography in, in classes in the community college in Sacramento before I transferred to the University of Washington. But during that period of time, I had built up a portfolio of images. And I had noticed that at the undergraduate library, the University of Washington, the Odegaard Library, that they would have a student a display of art. So I took my portfolio uh, to the, uh, you know, head librarian or whoever uh, that was managing that area. And I said, Hey, you know, I've got a portfolio of images, could I put, you know, put up my pictures. And they looked at it and they said, yeah, sure. You know, and they, so they gave me a date. And then I um, uh, had this show and one of my professors, I, I studied business at the UW and, um, and he looked at the show and he goes, hey, you know what? Uh, your photography is great. Maybe you should work for Kodak. <laughs> and I go, well, you know, gee, I wonder what kind of jobs they have. And he goes, well, they must have jobs. They must, they have to get product to market. And so, um, so that's when I started investigating um, how to find a, <laughs> how to find a job at Kodak, you know, looking at their um, annual report, um, find, finding who to contact if they're in the business and technical personnel that is that first entry into uh, Kodak, and uh, and I had actually applied for a summer job uh, as a demonstrator for their instant cameras because their instant cameras in those days were like ex exploding in in terms of uh, in popularity. But when I had applied that year their program was so successful, they just ended up hiring permanent salespeople, uh, you know, sales demonstrators for the stores. So um, what I did was my resume was already in Rochester and then I would end up calling the business and tech, my first contact saying, hey, sorry, we don't have a job, but we will, uh, you know, keep in contact or please keep in contact when you're ready to graduate. So during my senior year, I would wake up about five o'clock in the morning and call Rochester at eight o'clock when this, when Steve Gladwin, I remember his name, would be <laughs> at work. And I'd say, hey, you know, Steve, I'm wondering, 
do you have any jobs? He goes, well, it's kind of early, isn't it? I go, yeah, it's five o'clock, but I thought that uh, I would try to contact you before you got busy during your day. He goes, well, you know, that's pretty persevering of you. And, you know, uh, then like six months later, my roommate uh, found me in the class and he says, hey, uh, Kodak called, they want you to call back. And uh, so called, called him back and they said, hey, we'd like you to come to Rochester uh, for an interview. Now, in those days, I mean, I was a pretty naive kid and I just said, hey, uh, I really appreciate the invitation to go to Rochester to interview but I don't have money to fly to Rochester. And, you know, how, how could I possibly do that? You know? And uh, basically they said, Hey, you know, we're, we'll pay your way. Don't worry about, you know, we're, we want you to come to Rochester for an interview. So you, you'll get your flight and hotel room and uh, we'll prepare everything for you and we'll reimburse you. And I go, wow, <laughs> that's, a great company. <laughs> you know? yeah. So that was my that was my first experience where um, I would I had gotten interviews with um, two of the organizations. One was the um, professional and photo finishing division, which was more uh, technical sales, um, where I would uh, call on uh, photographers, professional labs and photo finishing labs. And uh, so that um, that position, when I went to Rochester, I, I interviewed with like seven people, and at the end of the day, I I got a uh, I got a job offer uh, for fourteen thousand five hundred dollars um, to uh, start at Kodak in nineteen seventy nine. So that was. That was an amazing an experience. There was another job that I had interviewed um, in San Francisco for the consumer markets division. And that, that was where you would go to the retail stores like um, Long's Drugs or uh, uh, Target and sell, sell them film. So, so the job I just, I ended up. Uh, Holy shit. So, I'm just sorry, sorry to distract you. I, I just, yeah. out of curiosity, threw that in an inflation calculator. And so they started you at like 54 grand a year in like today's equivalent of money. Like, that's wild. Like, that's, that little, is that good? <laughs> like, that for, for a starting job, like, that's, yeah. that's pretty, that's decent. Like, yeah. That, that's cool. No, actually, actually, no, that was, that was, actually the highest uh, uh, job offer I got in those days. Uh, so, and I'll just share with you my, uh, do you mind my sharing with you my other job offers? Of course, yeah. So, so I was offered a job with IBM. And so the IBM guy said, uh, you know, we're going to offer you a thousand dollars a month, but the harder you work, you could make your 
how much money you could make would be infinite. You could make an infinite amount of money depending on how hard you work. And I go, oh, okay. But, you know, uh, it, it's all on you. And I go, oh, okay. And I, and, but I, you know, that just didn't like, sounded a little too surreal. I mean, he's, he, he was so like high pressure, like, you know, if, if you work hard and if you make your numbers and if you do this, then, you know, you could make as much money as you want. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound right. Uh, you know, you, you dodged Poughkeepsie, so you, you got that going for you there. I think Rockbuster is a little more interesting than Poughkeepsie. And so this, the second one that uh, job offer I did was, uh, was the Procter & Gamble. Hey, Mikey. Uh, was Procter & Gamble. And so it was for the Folgers division. And the, the guy that interviewed me was the district manager for uh, Procter & Gamble. He had um, a $5 million district and a, uh, five guys under him, each having a million dollar uh, territory. So he goes, now your job would be to go to the grocery stores and think how you could best display Folgers coffee and think out of the box. Well, I'm saying out of the box. It really wasn't out of the box. He goes, you have, you have to think creatively and how you can grow your Folgers coffee sales and get that end cap because that's where you're going to drive the greatest sales. And you're going to go in there and merchandise and put up those coffee cans and, you know, <laughs> you'd be a proud <laughs> you'd be a proud Folgers coffee, you know, sales rep. And I go, oh, you know, that sounds not so good. <laughs> so, so you could imagine when Kodak offered me this job, you know, having, you know, uh, started photography in high school, printed, you know, fell in love, just like a lot of photographers do that, you know, put that first print into Dectal, saw that image come up, processed their own film, you know, used, uh, I mean, I was Tri-X, HC-110, Dilution B. The gymnastics pictures that I uh, sent you, um, those were fantastic. those were all done with uh, Tri-X, Push 1600, Damn. Uh, HC-110, Dilution B, my Canon F1, a hundred hundred millimeter lens. I think it was a two point eight. Yeah, I mean, you know, those those all those memories just kind of come back. They're, they're fantastic shots. So the the Kodak job was it a sales job then? Or it, oh, it was a sales it was a sales job. So, okay. um, and so it's just, it was this it was a um, uh, the professional and photo finishing markets division, and so. There were, there were two parts of that job. The professional side was calling on the professional lab that would um, you know, generally print for the professional photographers, medium format film, weddings, commercial. Um, and so, and, and also uh, be represent, representing film to the photographers as well. And the fin photo finishing part was calling on 
large labs that were processing the hundreds of thousands of rolls that would come through the lab, you know, through the drug stores. And I'll, and I'll give kind of examples of both. But when, when I joined Kodak, I, I was joining on the professional uh, finishing side of the business. So it was more like the smaller, um, smaller lab that was more custom. Did you and ever get to work with Dwayne's? No, no, because my, my territory was always uh, West, was actually West and then mi Midwest. Um, I started out in Hawaii and I, and I was uh, responsible for like the photo finishing labs uh, and, and mini labs that were growing in those days. And then, uh, and then the studio photographers as well. On the so, I, so on the IBM thing too, <clears throat> just kind of a funny one. Um, I've never worked for IBM, but I really <laughs> liked the whole um, think thing that they had there. So uh -huh. I got this tattoo on my forearm that I always forget about. But then sometimes strangers will like walk up to me and be like, what are you thinking about? And I'm like, that's a really odd question to ask someone you don't know. And then they point at my tattoo and I'm like, fuck. I'm thinking, <laughs> I wish I didn't get this where I put it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's interesting too, like when you talk about like why you didn't like the IBM job because of like, it, it sounds like it was mostly a commission based job with like a little bit of base. And then the folders one, like having a big patch like that, like, I kind of do, I do like technical pre-sales uh -huh. and um, I do have like a bit of a number. Like I, for this half, I think I have like a 35 million number for the district that, that I support. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm not directly responsible for it, but I need to help like advocate for the sales guys that are running that to make sure that they hit that number so that I can get my extra little bit of cake. Uh -huh. so, um, I couldn't do the sales side of it because being on that like higher commission area where like, sure, the, the harder you work, the more money you can make. Yeah, I just don't like that kind of stuff. It's just not, it's not fun. Yeah, in, in, the, in the early years, um, the, uh, the technical sales job was not uh, commissioned. It was very relational because really what you were doing you were, you were going into a lab and you were working with them uh, for a quality control standard. So you were there um, working with them on their process management to make sure their processes were uh, in control. And then you were uh, balancing their printers. They're, you were balancing their printers to make sure that the, um, uh, those, those negatives of thousands and thousands of rolls uh, that would go through every night would, uh, you know, statistically be printed, you know, correctly. And so the amount of, um, uh, a lot of it was night work, uh, actually, because the, the route drivers would pick up the film from the drugstores and come in about five or six o'clock and they, they would be, you know, spooling and splicing the film together, processing it. And then the printing would probably start around between eight and 10 o'clock. And then processing would be from like, you know, 10, 
to two o'clock and then from two to six o'clock might be the uh, you know cutting and finishing of the prints um, the cutting and finishing of the prints weren't my job you know that was a different uh, company but I would sometimes do the you know quality control looking at the film coming up coming off the processors <clears throat> uh, those kinds of things um, when I joined uh, Kodak their process was called deep uh, EP2 and they had moved from a silver bromide uh, emulsion to a silver chloride emulsion in the paper, which basically uh, doubled the productivity. So if you had a machine going 55 feet a minute for processing, you could increase that speed of the machine to uh, 110 feet per minute. Oh. I mean, that was way too fast because when you would clip on the paper, it would just like rip the paper out of your hand, way too dangerous. But there was a 27 foot um, uh, uh, per minute machine and that they made that a 50 uh, model 55. So it, they were just able to increase productivity in uh, basically in 1980 from, you know, double the speed and productivity to accommodate the growing the growing uh, photo business in, in that day. So I that I was I uh, with a, a coworker of mine, my uh, I, I had gone from Hawaii to Houston and calling on a large photo finishing lab. Eckert's was the drugstore. They're no longer in business today. But my territory in those days was about $10 million. Uh, so when you so consider let's say the majority of that was probably uh, paper. Um, let's say out of that 80% was paper, so $8 million. We calculated based on the cost of paper in those days on a per square foot basis, like the standard four by six print. Uh, in those days, the print was either three and a half by five or the larger size was four by six. So when I looked at $8 million in paper, now that was across like three large photo finishing labs and about 350 <laughs> one hour photos that were just like exploding. And so for the four by sixes, I calculated about 191 million prints through my territory that year or three and a half by five prints, 263 million three and a half by five prints. So, I mean, that's really what drove the business was was printing, you know, process and print in those days. Well, yeah, because the, the one hour photo booths, being able to get the prints and everything, that gave Polaroid a big run for their money back in the day. Because I mm -hmm. remember reading some stuff that like the instant cameras really started to impact um, the film industry a bit because people were just like, well, I don't have to wait like weeks to get photos back now. I can, mm -hmm. I can have a photo right away. Right. And right. then one hour photo booth came out. They're like, what's five minutes versus an hour? Like, eh. <laughs> right, right. And then, and of course the, the uh, price per print, so the print, uh, the, the package was uh, reasonable as well. Um, Absolutely. Um, and, Michael has a question for you here. As an analog camera shop looking to carry Kodak film 
Is Kodak accepting new accounts or stockists? Yeah, you know, uh, right now our demand is so uh, our demand is so high that we are not able to accommodate our current, um, uh, you know, dealers. So to to add dealers would only create additional back back orders. So yeah, we're not really accepting uh, new uh, new accounts at this time. Is is the back order stuff because um, factory output isn't as high as it used to be, or? Um, well, factory output has been been growing. We, I think, like ten years ago, um, our our capacity could meet demand because the capacity was like perhaps de, you know de, in a decline. And yeah. you know, for the last you know probably eight years, you know the volume has uh, you know been been growing and increasing year after year. So it's been really you know, good situation, this, this renaissance to analog. Uh, I mean, I, since, since I've been, and it's not because of me, I mean, I, I just uh, happen to be like in this, in this ride and, you know, and in the last, you know, 10 years, things have just, uh, you know, took a turn. And so, you know, when you're, when you're managing a decline, you're going, well, you know, there's only so much, capacity that you need. And, you know, I guess we probably didn't think we were going to have the same, the, the growth that we might've had, you know, this last 10 years. So. Well, no, I guess no, you I shrunk like incredibly fast too. Like I remember on the factory tour, one of the guys at the finishing plant was saying that like, you guys lost like 90% of your business in like three months when um, cinemas went to digital over over film it was just like all that money just like evaporated and you guys had to contract quickly because um you know you had to sort of stem the hemorrhaging somehow well the print film for sure right if you had thirty thousand screens and and then you didn't because there was a transition into in you know digital digital um you no longer had to send you know the the, the cans of print film the millions of, uh, you know, linear feet, um, you know, that dissipated. And of course, uh, digital cameras. Um, the consumer market was, was, um, our, was our largest market, right? You, you push a button, we do the rest. The, that, that uh, you know, the point and shoot uh, cameras, the, you know, all that, uh, just you didn't need that when people said, "Hey, I can, I can use shoot a digital camera. You could buy a digital camera for a hundred dollars, and uh, you know shoot like crazy." And uh, I think, well, you know, today I don't think anybody could find those digital files on on their hard drive if they <laughs> if they if their hard drive is still readable. Yeah, so it's on on one of the episodes. Uh, recently we ended up talking a bunch about like you know digital storage and like how to like you know maintain integrity of your digital files and things like that which a few people were like this is supposed to be a photography chat why are you talking about like backing things up and it's like well because a lot of us do shoot film but a lot of us don't print it 
either. Like it, it gets mm -hmm. scanned for the most part. So it's like, even though we're shooting on an analog medium, it's ending on a digital platform and um, where those digital files go, like that's like to your point, it's, it's kind of a black hole. Like, you know, whereas like if you have uh, prints, like, you know, mm -hmm. you can forget about those prints in a shelf somewhere, but like one day you're going to come across that shelf and you're going to find those prints again. And they're still going to look just as good as when you got them. Yeah. And I, and I think that from the wedding industry and some of the wedding photographers that shoot film, uh, you know, they, they get their life back by shooting film because all, all today, the labs that are processing film touch every frame. So they're looking at every frame. They're doing the density correction. They're doing the color correction specific to the photographer's need. And so when they get those files back, they're, um, they're uh, pretty much ready, ready, for, uh, ready for production. And you, you have to just do very little post. Uh, so, and so the photographer gets their, their life back. So no one, so I'm I think that's, no, so, I mean, I think that's one of the alluring things of why, you know, photographers are moving, you know, to film because they're, they're pushing all the work onto the lab so that they can have more free time in the, in the creative aspects. Well, and that's a really good point too, because like, that's <laughs> honestly what got me into shooting film a lot was um, when I moved to Toronto in 2017, I started shooting again. I picked up like a digital camera mm -hmm. and forgot how much I hate editing. I just really don't like it. <laughs> it's just, it kind of annoys me. Um, and then I started getting into film a little bit and um, it was just such a rabbit hole because the lab there that I was using, you know, shout out to downtown camera in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're in the Toronto area and you want yeah. to see yeah, they're they're great. Oh and, yeah, Claudia and Harry for sure. You know. Claudia and Harry gotta, and Stan. gotta love them. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Nigel in the use department. If you ever need like any, uh, any like info or anything, Nigel is a fantastic dude and Fab and Ryan and everyone at the front desk are great, but the people in the lab are fantastic. And it just, it made it so easy because as long as I nailed my focus and my exposure, I didn't have to do anything because their scans were so great. And mm -hmm. so that just made it made me want to shoot more film because it was just easy. Um, yeah. And then it was like, you know, you start playing with the different stocks and when you want a different feel, you're like, you know, I'm going to do Portra 400 for this one. Or like, you know, no, I think I'll shoot like Ektar for this. Or, you know, maybe mm -hmm. I'll go like, you know, shoot some Tri-X or, you know, some, some Ilford. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do, you know, I love Mike and I love Ilford. They're, they're a great film too. Um, but yeah, they, they just made it so easy. And um, so I could see that that's something that would draw people into wanting to do film because like if you find a good competent lab, yeah. um, it just makes your life so much easier. Like Claudia was telling me a story of a, she had a couple of uh, advertising photographers there mm -hmm. and there's one guy that insists on just shooting film and uh, you know, a couple of like the digital guys make fun of him for it. Um, but he always gets his workout put done faster because he'll shoot like, maybe two or three rolls, uh -huh. um, drop them off at downtown camera and either get them back same day or next day. Um, well, you know, the other guy shot like, you know, maybe a thousand pictures and now he's having to sift through all of the photos and pick which one actually works and then edit those ones out. And, 
you know, the guy that shot film, he already got his scans back and picked the ones he liked and submitted them. Yeah, I, I know. As good as a photographer that you might be, if you got a digital camera and you can shoot nine frames a second, I think sometimes you're just going to shoot nine frames a second because you can. Yeah. And, and you don't realize that until you like start that editing process and you're going like, it's, you're like at the optometrist, right? You go A, B, A, B, A, B, C, B, C, D. And then you pick one and then you're like, you get to another one. You're like, oh, fuck, maybe this one was better than the, the A, B. So you just end up second guessing so much. And, and it's, so, like, and it's oh, so hard to delete, right? I mean, it's so hard yeah. to delete because you would have been better off if you chose out of that series to delete the rest, but you don't do that. No, because you, you never delete. <laughs> um, like I've noticed because I've been shooting digital a little bit more the last few months, it's made me a bit lazy. And like, you know, just because you can, you do kind of thing. So it's like, you know, if I was shooting film and I saw something, I would just take one shot of it. But, you know, with digital, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do it like this. Or maybe I'll try like a different, like, you know, I ended up taking like 10 shots of the same thing when mm -hmm. if I was like shooting film, it just would have been one shot. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, because was... you're, I mean, you're composing yourself, right? I mean, you're, you're just like being very careful. <laughs> First, I mean, you're, you know, when you're looking through a viewfinder of a film camera, I mean, you're, 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 you're looking at all the corners, you're looking at composition. And for some reason, you know, when you're doing digital, it's just a whole, totally different, uh, different feel. You, you, you know, you don't have, you don't have the same thought process. Cause I'm always thinking like, what is the, what is the aperture? Am I, am I going to be wide open? Do I need, do I need to close, shut that, close down? I mean, you're, you're thinking in equivalent exposures uh, a lot of the times. I, I do have to say, and this is where I get a little bit begrudging about Fuji. Um, I've been playing with the X Pro series, like their digital rangefinders, uh -huh. and I've been really digging it because it does make me think a little bit more in like film, with like having the rangefinder there, and like um, I've noticed it's kind of slowed me down a little bit, which has been interesting because like I've never had that experience with any of my other digital cameras. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been really liking that about the Fuji, but then it also makes me kind of bitter because it's like, I still want to hate you. <laughs> <laughs> but like Big Head Taco, I don't know if you ever come across him. He's been trying to uh, get me to show Fuji some love for a while. And then uh, my friend Clint, who loaned me the Leica, he's also a big Fuji advocate. So I was like, well, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to try it out because I trust the opinion of these guys. And now I've, I've gone down this Fuji rabbit hole that makes me feel dirty some days. Mm. <laughs> um, I feel like Dan, though, had no, no a comment. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Dan here had, had a point, though, about um, the, the Kodak stuff. And this also kind of resonated with something that one of the uh, gentlemen on the tour told me where he said, I read somewhere that there's also a labor issue. Not enough people with knowledge to run the factories and having to train new people has been causing an issue with supply. And when I was doing the factory tour, there was like a couple of people that echoed that they were concerned that they're having trouble finding new blood for the factory. Mm. Um, like 
factory jobs just, I guess, aren't as sexy as they used to be. Like, you know, people used to flock to work at the Kodak factory. And now, like, you know, one guy was saying that a lot of the people that he works with are all in retirement age and there's like no new trainees or anything. And so I was like, well, I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, you're, you're still young. You've got like, what, yeah. another 30 years left? <laughs> at least. At least. Yeah, least. You know. <laughs> I, you know, I, I love representing film. You know, I, uh, I, I, I feel that uh, I've got the best job in the, in the company. I, I, you know, it's kind of like I've gone full circle because I started out as a technical sales representative and, re you know, in a way representing film, but also paper and chemicals. I mean, I, I was responsible for the whole package. Kind of m m morphed into uh, calling on, uh, well, so I, I went from Hawaii being a uh, combined technical sales representative calling on professional labs, photographers, and finishing labs, went to Houston and called on mostly finishing labs and retail mini labs, and then went back to Hawaii and calling on mini labs, camera stores, and then I was expanded into uh, food and drug and, and mass stores. So, and, and travel leisure, which means I called on, let's say, uh, the Kodak Cooler Show. I was responsible for the Kodak Cooler Show, for luau's, um, any travel leisure, like maybe a, a, sub, uh, a helicopter um, company that might have a retail store. So I, so I had a broad experience in Hawaii, probably had every kind of job you could possibly have, you know, working for Kodak in, in Honolulu. And then um, came back to the mainland here in Los Angeles for the last 20 years, and then kind of got more specialized and now, you know, responsible for film again. Um, and so it's, it, it's gone full circle and it's come to a place where, you know, I had my beginnings and it just really, uh, I mean, I just got to pinch myself because it's something that I've always loved and continue to represent. And just, I want to be that, uh, you know, I want to be remembered as that guy, right? And uh, I, I get a little choked up because when, when I started photography, I went to like a Nikon school of uh, photography. And at the end, I asked this guy a question um, and, and you know, he answered me and he was the Nikon rep. And I, I kind of feel like, oh, yeah, he, the dude talked to me. I mean, he's like the Nikon guy. And so uh, I kind of, I kind of feel the same responsibility uh, to be approachable, an approachable guy, representing film, you know, and I get I get choked up about that because I really take it to heart, you know. It's really beautiful, Tim, I, and I can tell that. Like you know, the I was kind of curious when you asked like what my address was. Like you know, I had no expectation you were going to, but like this, 
this was an absolutely beautiful gesture and you, you don't see that kind of stuff anymore. And, you know, it's, I, I've seen like your, your social media posts and like, you know, it, it's cool. You're, you're hanging out with, I guess I hang out with Han. Yeah. 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 No, I, yeah, that was, that was great. That was a wonderful, it was a wonderful day. I mean, just to, you know, go to the Huntington library grounds and to just hang out, have lunch and just, uh, you know, get to know each other. Yeah. Yeah, she she's amazing. Like, I can't wait to actually meet her in person one of these days. But it's great that, like, people like you exist because it's important to have that. And, um, you know, they're one of the unfortunate things in, in the photography world. There's a lot of gatekeepers out there and people that are just kind of like dinguses, for lack of a better word. Um, but I've, I've met a few real, like, menches out there in, in photography, like, you know, uh, Mike Bain, definitely one of them. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Mike's Grant, great. No, Mike, Mike is great. And I've, yeah, been yeah. Trying, I've been trying to get Mike on. Um, and he's like, nah, I'm not that interesting. I'm like, bullshit, Mike, you're very interesting. <laughs> he's totally, he's totally interesting. Mike, if you're looking, dude, you know, you guys. <laughs> I think it's mostly he doesn't want to be on, on like the the social aspect of things, but like he's he's a fantastic guy. I really I, I got to meet him at the film Padilla in San Clemente, and uh, you know he it was really cool just how open he was. And the same thing with Grant Britton, like you know mm. sitting down yeah. and chatting with him there, and just how open he's been. And it's it's really nice that there's people like you guys out there that have these wealths of knowledge that don't just keep them and, and just be like, no, this is mine for like my success. Like you, if someone reaches out to you, you're open to, to share. And like, that's such a cool thing. No, absolutely. So th thank you. I appreciate that. Tim. Yeah. Yeah. You're very welcome. You know, I, I do, I do very, my, the things I do are pretty random. I mean, when I, when I look at, I mean, when I look at Instagram, you know, I try to, you know, look at uh, some of the new people or, or where they're at, um, whether they're a student or whether they're um, uh, a beginner. And I may randomly reach out to them and say, hey, um, do you mind my reaching out or do I, can I have permission to talk to you? And uh, I'd like to, I like your images and I'd like to get to know you a little bit and maybe I can uh, send you some free film. I don't know. Who's <laughs> <laughs> gonna say no to free film? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my entree, you know. Want some film? No. <laughs> hey kid, you want some film? <laughs> that's great though. Uh, on the film thing though, I do have a question here that Lillian asked earlier that I missed. Sure. Um, do you know if the film width has changed over the years from the fifties to now some old analog cameras can't hold 35 millimeter film. It seems the size is smaller. No, the, I mean the 35 millimeter, um, 35 millimeter film is pretty exacting. So I can't say that the film, the width, you know, can't get smaller. Now, now there has been a change in, you know, some of the uh, film in terms of, 
you know, acetate versus estar. So some of the films um, are now being coated on uh, estar uh, film. Uh, estar, which is a which is a thinner film, but but the acetate is also um, it's standard. So so I'd say thickness is possible because medium format film also is is thinner is on a thinner base than 35 millimeter so kind of depends on what she's talking about from 35 millimeter the width uh, wouldn't change yeah I, I wouldn't imagine so no that's you know that would screw up because <laughs> say that would screw everything up <laughs> yeah, yeah it kind of would I mean, the, the base is an interesting thing, too, because I think that was, like, the coolest part. Oh, speak of the devil, there's Han. Um, that was the coolest part of the tour of the factory was the base plant. Like, that that place still blows my mind. Like, it's been years since I saw it. I'm still, like, processing, like, the, the scale of that, that building and that machine mm -hmm. that makes the base, like... That was such a cool thing to see. Well, yeah, I mean, to see, you know, I was I was lucky enough to yeah, see that tour also, but to see the the slitting operation, the perfing operation, the just the whole finishing line, and it's really crazy. It's really pretty amazing, right? I mean, <laughs> well, and the guy that runs the perf machine, he's like, you know. 10, 15 years ago, this was like a top secret room. Like no one could see this because like this technology, like no one has this in the world. And he's like, now no one really gives enough shit about a film to like try and rip off this machine. So like you guys get to see it today. <laughs> well, so I, I'll, I'll give a, a plug to a Bob Shanebrook's book because, you know, a lot of the technology is, is public today. So, you know, Bob Shanebrook's, you know, he wrote this book, you know, making Kodak film and, oh, you know, cool. it's, it's for sale. So, you know, you could, you know, buy the book. So, you know, the thing is, is from soup to nuts in terms of understanding, uh, you know, how film is made. I mean, it's just really, uh, you know, amazing that, you know, you could go on that tour and that, they put 200 independent things together in a kettle and they can coat it on a base and there's about you know 14 layers of stuff in there and you know and when you expose it it you know you get great images <laughs> yeah the, the coating was crazy to see too and i remember matt was telling us a story of like how sensitive coating um is that there was like a VIP tour going on and people were there while they were coding and just them talking within the vicinity of the machine wavered the, um, the, the stream of the emulsion onto the base. And they had to like scrap that, that production because the sound waves from like 20, 30 feet away from the machine, like ended up rippling it. There's a, there's a story in this book, uh, like in the 50s when they had the like the nuclear tests in uh, in Nevada so there was a there was a nuclear test and there was a nuclear plume and it rained 
Um, it rained in the water that was used uh, in this paper making plant. That paper was used as the interweaving in, in x-rays uh, in between the x-ray film and they uh, and then there were artifacts in the x-ray film as a result of this oh, from the rain from the rain that was radioactive uh, I mean there was a it was kind of an amazing little excerpt in this that they could trace back um, that there was <coughs> a, a nuclear test that created this plume traveled from Nevada to Iowa or wh wherever this paper was being made and uh, and created this artifacting associated with, uh, you know, with that nuclear test. I mean, it was just like, wow. That's well, and it's like the, um, the mustard plant um, affecting the uh, gelatin. That was a crazy mm -hmm. one too, where it's like mm -hmm. the cows got into a field that had mustard plants and the mustard got into like their, their, like the, their bones and stuff like the, um, the sulfur from it. And it, it screwed up a batch of uh, emulsion and they mm -hmm. traced it back to like this batch of cows that got escaped the farm and like were eating like, you know, mustard plants and like. Yeah, you know, it's just, just really, um... It's amazing the kind of research that was done to just try to figure out, well, what really did cause the problem? Well, and it's wild because like, that's one of the things I really like about film is that being like an organic based thing, it's almost like a living item mm -hmm. on its own. And like, that's what I kind of find makes expired film really interesting is like, depending on how that film was taken care of um, or not taken care of, affects like what it turns into and affects the results of what you get out of it and it's just it's a really interesting interesting object because it can be very mm -hmm. dynamic mm -hmm. um, and to that point uh, Mark had a question here uh, uh, can Tim comment on the lifespan of modern film bases in terms of degradation of the plastic polymers mm -hmm. <laughs> no <laughs> that sounds more like <laughs> an engineering question that was, that was a that was a hard one. <laughs> you know, that's that's a, that's a thesis. That would be something. That'd probably be something for Matt, uh, Matt Stoffel. I I wouldn't be able to comment on that. I mean, I I you know when uh, in the photo technology group when I when I worked there, I mean that's where I started before I went into t uh, technical sales training. But uh, I mean that was where they worked on the paper process and the paper, you know, they married the paper and the paper process and the films so that, you know, the, the color films and the color processes and they, there was a systems group that married through their photographic systems, you know, the, the printing processing of, uh, of the negatives and then finally, you know, printing and it was all based on you know grayscales and then converting that into you know images of real people but um, the thing is is that when when you were working with step tablets and trying to create that perfect image it was you know based on those multi-layers the cyan magenta and yellow layers 
you know, in a three and a three minute, 15 second process at a hundred degrees plus or minus a quarter degree. And that when you started that process, when the films went into that developer, that in three minutes and 15 seconds, that the red, you know, the cyan, magenta, and yellow layers would finish across that finish line at the same time, because you wanted that characteristic curve to be nice and smooth and uh, go from lower lower left to higher, you know, to the toe to the shoulder. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it was very, it, it was an amazing experience just to see how the the chemical engineers, the photographic engineers, uh, design design film because you know, I mean, to this day, it's just uh, you know amazing, as you say, you know, an organic material that can generate, you know, reproduce. Uh, well, even when they're building the um, the emulsions, like the when they're growing the crystals, and like you know, they've got those cauldrons in the dark that they're just like putting all the stuff in, like that's just wild too like they're growing crystals to, to go a certain way and that's where i got interested about the double x because i was like is it like a marriage of like tri-x and t-max or something else and matt mm. was like you got me curious about that now so he wanted to find out and then he's like yeah i know but you don't get to know <laughs> <laughs> yeah Maddie's a tease. Matt's a tease. <laughs> it was also cool to see the uh, the emulsion before it goes, like when when they finished it in the cauldrons, and like it almost feels and looks like Jello, like a weird gray Jello. Mm -hmm. um, and then one of the guys that don't eat it though, he's like, yeah, Some yeah, tempted to like bite into it because it looks like you could maybe do that, but he's like, we wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not the same as the you know the layered. The layered uh, jello that you know mom and grandma made you know exactly you know, it <laughs> does have gelatin in it but there's a lot of like silver and other things <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, it, it was the other thing that was like wild about kodak plant was like it was the first time i had ever like experienced the idea of buildings as machines and I never thought about that concept before that like a building is not a building, a building is a machine. And that was an interesting thing to have, like wrap my mind around where it's like, yeah, that 13 story building there, that's, it's not, it's like a massive photocopier. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it, that was, I probably been in that building years ago, but, you know, I was uh, when I was visiting Rochester, and I I called Matt up, and he was so so accommodating uh, to you know he on short notice. I said, "Hey, I'm gonna be in town for a couple more days. Can I like slip into the plant and check it out?" And he was uh, he was more than accommodating. Such a such a gentleman. I really uh, appreciated just having that experience again of just seeing that whole you know, production side of, uh, yeah, of filmmaking. Yeah, it was great. He's a, he's a great dude and such an advocate for, for film too. Like, I feel like, you know, he's, he's another person in, in like the, the same realm as you where it's just very open and wants mm -hmm. to like help support the community. And like, that's such a great thing to have. Mm, for sure. No, absolutely. Um, 
in in all of your your decades of like you know being part of the the film community um what are a couple of your like favorite moments oh you didn't you didn't tell me you were gonna ask me that (laughs) 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 oh you know um gosh i i just Uh, you know, some, some of the uh, really nice moments that I've had, uh, probably since I've been on the mainland, I've just attended uh, just a, uh, an amazing amount of uh, photo workshops and, oh, and trade shows. You know, the great thing about trade shows is that you're able to, you know, thousands of people are able to come through and you can, you know, talk about you know your experiences or a- answer questions but i i think that really you know the moments that i enjoy most is like interacting with the photographers that you know are really you know passionate and trying to learn um about how to better their craft and how to use uh you know film or expose film you know, in the best way that they can, um, and be creative. I, and I think that uh, one of the things also about attending workshops is that I'm I'm learning too, because because I I started in that uh, in the film side of just being a photographer and just loving photography. I mean, I'm learning from the photographers. Uh, that I, I run into because they're 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 teaching composition they're they're teaching they're doing they're directing you know so you know to hear somebody direct somebody in terms of how to how to pose and how to look and I mean those it's being a lifelong being in photography and being passionate is being a lifelong learner as well. Um, because there's 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 always so much to learn um in in this it's it's just a uh it's something that i just again you know really i really appreciate um you know yeah i mean it's it's just it's just a great experience to be amongst the photography community as they're in you know enjoying creating I mean, it's 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 really what what I love about uh, about my job. I mean, I'm I'm able to represent, but also join in. You know, break bread together. It. I mean, you know, it's it's nice to be able to break bread with with people when you have a common thread and appreciation of things, and that's really cool. Like, I like your perspective of that. That's a that's a wonderful perspective. Um, what what um what would be some of your favorite photographers that you're really digging right now? Oh, well, you know the um, I, I saw Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, you know she, she's she does some magical things with Ektar, Wendy Laurel in Hawaii. So I've been kind of looking at more of the um, the 
what I love about Ektar is the saturation and the sharpness, the contrast that uh, comes out of that. So certainly, uh, well, really- Film has done some really, really beautiful stuff with Ektar. Who? Megan shoots film. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, and then of course I've been, you know, meeting uh, some young uh, photographers like like Han, like uh, uh, like Hannah Wynn, um, H H four, and then. <laughs> her her uh, Instagram, and uh, she shoots with uh, Mamiya in the Hasselblad. I mean, her images are like amazingly sharp, you know. Uh, I know that. I mean, for the longest time, I mean, Ryan Muirhead. I mean, I mean, I've known Ryan for so many years and enjoying his. Uh, you know, his uh, black and white work, color work. He, his uh, work is beautiful, yeah. Yeah. Um, there are so many uh, photographers that I've met and are fans of. <laughs> you know, it's hard to pick just one, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Jeffrey is wondering if there's anything you'd like to do with film or photography that you haven't done yet. Um, that's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I continue to, uh, so one, I think one of my projects that I have just like started doing, I did, and I've done it informally, but more, more direct is just like, uh, taking pictures, taking images of the photographers I know. So, like, uh, when I when I, you know, hung out with Han, is hey, you know, can we take pictures of each other? And so, and I and I think I want to do a project like that and and uh, and photograph, you know, the photographers that uh, you know I've known over the years. You know, have have them on the other side of my camera. And that, that is like a really cool thing. Like um, Dave Rollins um, recently just put out a book um, called, um, oh shit, my, my memory's terrible. Let me just grab it, just a sec. <laughs> Thank you, Han. <laughs> Portrait of a photographer. So Dave, oh, yeah? Dave, oh, cool. Uh, Dave Rollins, uh, he lives in the Bay Area, uh -huh. and amazing, like, large format photographer, like, and another one of those people that has so much knowledge and is just so happy to share it, and is just a very genuine uh, person, but he set out with this project to do one camera, one lens, one film type, so it mm -hmm. was with his, um, what is it, with his crown graphic, um, an Aeroactar lens, and then I think it was Triax. And he just went out and shot all these like different uh, different photographers. I think you know that one. Oh, nice. Is <laughs> there's a good shot of Han? Um, yeah, he. There's a, a Raymond Molinar. Uh huh. Um, 
Oh, oh yeah, we're talking, we're just talking about this guy. There's there's Grant. Uh uh-huh. the great shot of Grant. Um and who else do you got in here? The, oh like you know, there there's a real legend, Mr. Mr. Lee. Uh-huh. And, I I uh that's nice. That's nice. So uh Yeah. That, and everyone knows this guy. You can't trust this guy. He's, <laughs> he's a bad news bear. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> JP's a good cat. I love JP. JP. And you know, Starla was great. I just had Starla on a couple episodes ago, and like she's fantastic. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I think I remember uh, jumping in that. Yeah, and then like my, I, I'll let it slip, but I think this gentleman might be joining us on the chat for season three. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of excited to to maybe have him on there. Um, and then my all-time favorite photo that someone's ever taken of me, which um, it, this is why I think this kind of idea is cool. And like, that's awesome that, that you also want to do it too, is like, you know, we spend a lot of time behind the lens, but like, we don't often let other people take photos of us. And uh-huh. right, you know, right. one of my all-time favorite photos ever taken of me is... Um, one that Dave did um, in in the book here. I can't remember where it is. Um, yeah, he took this outside of the Denton Camera Exchange in Denton, Texas. <laughs> I, I, it's like one of my favorite photos. Uh huh. So Denton. It's a, oh, Denton, Denton. Oh, so that's north. That that's like north of north of Dallas, right? Uh, yeah, it's like forty like, half hour, forty five minutes outside of Dallas. Yeah, it's yeah. It's part of the DFW. Like. Mm-hmm. Jason, you're such a dick. <laughs> Thumbs down for me, but all good for Ray Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like that that'd be like such a cool idea to uh to do more of this. Like I would love to see more photographers capturing the people that they know and like, you know, their um their friends and stuff. And you have like a very interesting position where it's like you know you have this opportunity to go out and meet photographers all over the place and yeah that would be a really cool project to see that from your perspective yeah one of my you know one of one of the nicest photographers that you know is john sexton used to you know be an assistant to ansel adams and uh you know i've, I've just had the pleasure to be able to um you know, meet him over the years and spend time with him and at Point Lobos and, you know, in the Monterey Peninsula and uh, see him, you know, teach, you know, large format photography to his, uh, you know, his workshop folks. And uh, yeah, he's, he just uh, does some beautiful uh, black and white work and uh, just, yeah, I mean, He's a he's one of my uh, you know favorite photographers for sure on the on the black and white uh, side of things. That's um, really cool. I'm gonna have to check out his stuff. I'm not really familiar with him. Um, I I I do have opportunities to talk and meet uh, Alan Ross. Uh, he he does the printing, uh, you know for all of Ansel Adams negatives. Um, oh, crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, he's, he's the guy, you know, so. 
it's so he just... followed like all of Ansel's recipes for like how he had it all set up to like you know do the dodging and burning and all that stuff to make his right you know uh, <clears throat> the first time I saw saw that was like in in John Sexton's uh, you know workshop you know it's just like a you know a translucent page of you know this you you dodge and burn you know this this part for you know a couple seconds you do you know you use this tool for <laughs> for burning in uh yeah it's it's like this whole you know recipe or instruction book of of how to do things and you know they they know that they soup that print for you know one and a half minutes or two minutes and you're done you know it's not it's not 45 seconds or you know it's not until it looks good you know it's yeah it's a minute <laughs> it's, yeah. <laughs> well there's a there's an irony to like all that stuff with with like <clears throat> Adams and stuff because like you know going to like um gatekeepers and people that are kind of like you know jerks in photography that are like oh you know it needs to be done in camera and like you know it's it's not pure if you have to like edit or anything and it's like Ansel Adams was doing like the OG Photoshop back in the day. Like, yeah. If you saw like a, an out of camera photo of Ansel Adams, you'd be like, this guy is a hack. He has no idea what the fuck he's doing. But, <laughs> yeah, it's what makes his, his photos magical. And like so many of those, like, you know, um, uh, Henry uh, Cartier. Uh, yeah. Henri Cartier Brisson. Yes. Him and, uh, you know, um, oh shit. My mind's just blanking, but like all of those like old fantastic black and white photographers, like Sian, um, all their stuff was like you know one part was getting the photo, but then the other part was making the magic happen in the darkroom to get the photo the way they wanted that image to be. Right, right, yeah. I mean, I I couldn't imagine how much paper. There what there's a story, um, and. This was much before my time because I was at a Society of Photographic Educators conference. Um, and the educator, uh, you know, was probably in his, uh, you know, 60s. And so he said he was at a, uh, he was at an Ansel Adams workshop. It was a dye transfer workshop. And so uh, we had sent Eastman Kodak had sent a uh, it must have been a truckload of dye, tra dye transfer materials for this workshop and they were making large prints and so in order to be able to make those prints they ended up going to like uh, a, a toy shop to get one of those kids round or rectangular uh, like a play pool play pool and so in order to, the, the group would do their exposures and then they'd surround the pool and they, they'd kick the pool uh, to agitate it. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they, they would do it for the whole, whole bass, but they, they just said that, you know, the amount of materials, you know, in the day, of course, you know, if you're in 1980, uh, you know, when I, I was, I happened to be, at the right place and they took a picture of me and, and the, for the, uh, um, oh, uh, the annual report.
but I so I kept that and I recently looked at it and we and Kodak uh, 1980 was about a $10 billion company. The photo segment was about mm, maybe half of that, maybe $6 billion of that. Um, and, and the profitability, I want to say, was around like $3 billion. Um, so, so in those days, I mean, Kodak's photo business was a, was a, was mega mega billions right and so uh that that's when they had all the research and development when i joined kodak well that same uh annual report said uh they talked about the research nickel and so five percent or five cents out of every dollar were into research and development in the in their you know product product line and, and businesses so <clears throat> They were, needless to say, I mean, they were certainly the, the photographic leader, you know, in the marketplace in the day. Um, but uh, yeah, there were a lot of resources back then, for sure. Yeah, it's someone like you, you mentioned the, the color burst instant camera and another person mentioned um, um, it also in, in the comments there. You know that that was an interesting story there because like um, <laughs> that was quite the battle between Kodak and Polaroid and um, you know that was a huge L for for Kodak I think because like you know just that that ruling overnight basically rendered every single Kodak instant camera useless like you know overnight and, yeah uh, that um, like. Were you at Kodak during that time? Like when that ruling oh, was at work? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because uh, it was, it was still, uh, yeah, it was still growing. Um, and in the instant product, I, you know, I have to say the instant product that Kodak made was really it was really high quality. The, the color was great. They had come out with a, with like a luster, luster finish. So it was, uh, uh, you know, it, it was finger, you know, didn't leave fingerprints. It was, uh, it was a rectangular image. Uh, color quality was beautiful. Um, but, you know, yeah, you know, we the basically they said, "Hey, um, you violated some patents," and so you know, why? Yeah, don't pass go, don't collect two hundred dollars. You know, pay a fine. Well, it was interesting too because like Kodak played a role in um, helping Polaroid become the company it turned into. Because um, mm -hmm. you you guys had made a lot of um, their negatives and even some of the, the like um, positive material for um, the original. Yeah, the yeah, the positive negative material. Yeah. Yeah, and mm -hmm. there was like I I remember reading because I I did a Polaroid workshop a few years back and so I did all this like research into like you know the history of Polaroid and um, there were a bunch of executives at Kodak that were like pleading with Eastman not to do it and he's like ah oh, whatever money's money. 
they're like, yeah, but these guys could be a competitor. And he's like, no, it's a toy, like whatever, take their money. And then it just like, it grew into something a lot bigger than I don't think anyone ever really anticipated it would turn into. Yeah, no, I, I don't know any of that. <clears throat> I don't know any of the history. The uh, that all that did actually that um, that taught me about the time value of money. And and I'll tell you why it's because the I think and I, I can't remember, I'll just use loose, loose numbers, but the uh the fine was like i don't know probably uh 500 million dollars for four or 500 million dollars and so because the uh I, I think because the suit went on for like i don't know seven to ten years what uh what the court did is they said well the, the time value of money of that four or five hundred million dollars uh, represents x amount of interest so so therefore the fine is like nine hundred million dollars or something like that so when it was explained that way that just taught me the time, the time value of money that oh well, i mean if you have you know four hundred million dollars and you put it in the bank you know 10 years later it should be nine hundred million dollars um, that was, I mean, that just taught me that I should start saving money so that my $50 could turn into 90. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway, anyway, it's, in, it's interesting though, like those, those lessons you learn from business stuff like that, because yeah, I've definitely gleaned a few things from my sales job that I'd never really understood but before, um, yeah, it's it's kind of wild. And yeah, someone here mentioned Type 55, which was an interesting one because that was that had a negative and positive from uh, Kodak, and um, that was because uh, Ansel Adams was he was actually on staff by Polaroid, so mm. Polaroid paid a lot of artists to be like artists and in staff for them to like test film out and things like that. And Ansel was one of them, mm. and like yeah, this is kind of neat, but it's like kind of a toy until you can have a negative, like, you know, whatever, like, it's just, it's not serious until there's a negative. And that's, they created type 55 because Ansel wanted a negative, mm. which was, was kind of cool. And yeah, someone's like yeah. Ansel had clout and like, yeah, he definitely did. Yeah. He had clout. <laughs> yeah. No, no doubt about it. He had clout. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, uh, you know, I know, I know he, in the early years, he uh, um, shot a lot of, I think, double X. And then when Triags were introduced in 54, um, you know, he, well, Triags was like 2X the speed. So double um, X was like 100, ISO 100, and well, ASA 100. And then Triax was uh, introduced to the ISO of ISA of two two hundred, so got a little extra stop there. <clears throat> yeah, get a little get a little extra jam out of it. Yeah. So what what is your kind of like favorite stuff that you like to shoot now? It's it's uh, it's kind of 
really um, on my Instagram, like I on uh, Father's Day, I we went to uh, Monterey and I took that journey, you know, back to Point Lobos and just taking, you know, scenery pictures, uh, Monterey Coast, Point Lobos. I mean, I really, I really enjoy that, uh, that aspect. And then again, just getting into portraiture, um, getting that Pentax 6.7 and the 105.24 and uh, putting that in people's faces and, and taking pictures of people. Nice. So, so it, it's all been going back, you know, scenery, scenery, people, scenery, people. Yeah. I do. I really loved your scenery shots. So it's like before you sent those gym ones for the post I did last week, I kind of like snuck on your Instagram and like I screenshotted a couple of your photos there. And um, I really love the colors of the, um, the ocean shots that you had there. Like they mm, just, thanks. they really, they look so good. Ah, thank you. Um, the, the, the other interesting uh, pictures were like, um, I, I, I thought were, not what I'm used to were the street pictures in New York, um, like you know, the, but I, I just happened to, uh, I used, I would ordinary, ordinarily go to photo plus every year and it would always be around, uh, <clears throat> Halloween. So one year I just said, Oh, I'm going to just walk around and, you know, try to catch the characters. And I just, uh, you know, I just thought some of those shots were some of my funnest, you know, catching the, the women with the different uh, wigs on. I like that. <laughs> that was good with the multiple wigs. Yeah. Um, and there was a guy with the pimp hat. Yeah. I, mean, I used that one, but then I ran out of, of uh, room to post, but I like that one. Right. <laughs> I know. It's just on, like, on that, like sort of like street kind of point and shoot. Um, Rosie asked a question in a comment before, um, where it's she noticed that um, Kodak's releasing that um, the black and white disposable, uh -huh. um, which looks cool. It, you know, Triax is, is an awesome film, um, but was just kind of curious that like you know with uh, lamography leaning more towards like a reusable style camera um, and uh, Ilford doing like a similar kind of thing is is Kodak thinking of doing like a kind of like reusable disposables uh, disposable at some point you know that's that's a good question the thing is uh, like Kodak Eastman Kodak is uh, is a um, motion picture company uh, graphics company in a in a light business licensing uh, business and so they currently have uh, a licensee um, I believe Sino promise in Asia that is licensing uh, the m35 m38 reloadable camera that's branded Kodak so so there is that um, product being you know offered today and I think that we wanted to offer an option, a black and white option, um, you know, because of the, you know, the iconic film that Triax is. 
but also um, that that we think it's going to be popular, and and so yeah, it, because the the single use cameras today, um, you know, have have become very popular in in all in all brands, and so it was just offering an option uh, to the marketplace into the into the community. So. I'm kind of curious though. So you, you've released one with Triax, but um, what about T-Max? Where's the love there? Or what about <laughs> like uh, like a 1600 um, or not the 3200 T-Max? Yeah. That'd be a cool point shoot. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, I, you know, I, th I think uh, Triax from uh, like a volume standpoint, is probably our most popular film so it would just lean uh i i think it it's just natural for us to have the uh you know the triax product in the camera um i mean i, I do love triax a lot but i mean i i got a real soft spot for the p3200 too. yeah 3200 is really a nice it, it's it's a nice film i I don't, uh, I don't, I can't disagree with you. I love all my children. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> I, I'm very, I'm very defensive about all my children. <laughs> they're, they're all great. Yeah. You I know, just don't like ectochrome, but my, you know, my, you know, when uh, I grew up in a family of, I grew up in a family of four, you know, two girls and two boys. And my mom worked for a, a department store. And no matter what, uh, you know, if she bought anything at that department store, she bought four of everything, you know? So, uh, you know, <laughs> it's because she, she left her children equally. It didn't matter, you know, it, it just had to be four of the same thing. So anyway, I don't I don't know if that's off topic, but I think I, there's going to be some daddy jokes now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no daddy jokes. Give <laughs> me like Tim, the film daddy. But <laughs> <laughs> my, my daughters, you know, my daughters in any of these projects that I do or, or talks, uh, you know, my my daughters are always like, well, you know, dad. Please, you know, don't creep anybody out. Don't, don't, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I well, I don't think you've you've gone into that realm of creeping. Anyone. <laughs> um, what is it here? M M Suhor, Suhor? Uh They have a question. Any new films in the Kodak lineup? Yeah, you know, I there's always stuff like on the drawing board. It's just that you know, whenever you're doing things uh you know it you're you're doing a lot of tests and when you do tests um it just takes a long time nothing nothing uh you know that i can talk about it's just that when you're when you're talking about new things um new things just if it, it i want to use an example like ectochrome when they announced Ectochrome, hey, we're coming out with Ectochrome, 
it uh, it went through a lot of iterations before it could come out in its uh, I have my phone plugged in but it says low power. I wonder whoops. Oh no, your your power is running plugged. out there. <laughs> well if it if it's dying there we I don't can, know how my power I don't know how it's no I'm just make oh <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> it was plugged in, but not plugged in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How'd, how'd that work? There you go. Wow. Someone's saying 120 gold. That would be an interesting. <laughs> yeah. So someone I. Someone also a comment lower price point question mark, which I think is wishful thinking because we all know the prices <laughs> have gone up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, so there, did you read that? I can't remember who posted the article, but there was like an uh, article. That Ludwig, out. Uh, Ludwig out of uh, Germany, uh, yeah. the article looking at looking back at the at the price of uh, film and looking at inflation and looking at the consumer price index, and you know basically came out with the conclusion that you know film prices are. Uh, Uh, they, they normalized basically. normalized yeah 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 because it's like you all of the film companies had to like sell film for cheaper because they just weren't selling it so some of them were taking a loss or like taking a hit um and now it's like you know everyone's complaining about the film price but that article is interesting because it's just it's basically stated that like you know film prices are back to where they were like the regular peak of film and it's like the same thing with Polaroid when people complain about Polaroid being expensive. Um, if you look at how much a pack of Polaroid cost back in the day versus how much it costs now, like it's really not different when you factor in inflation and, and all of those things like Polaroid was always an expensive thing to use. Yeah. Always on a per print basis for sure. It was always, I don't know. I always, I always thought, Hey, it was, it's always a dollar a print or something. Yeah, now, now it's, a, I think it's like a buck 50 or something, or I don't know, more than that. Because it's like $25 for a pack. And then what does that work out to? I, you know, I can't do my math today. So this is 25. <laughs> it's like $3 and change shot. Today. Oh, wow. And, that, and that's if you're doing um, the high-type film. That, that's not the one with I the battery pack. The, the one with the battery pack, um, the one with the battery pack is like 375 a shot. Three, I well, feel like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Are they, <clears throat> so is the battery, battery reusable or is it? Well, so like Polaroid for their integral films, uh, manufacture three distinct types of it right now. Um, there's the SX70 film, which is for all the SX70 cameras, and that's 160 ISO, and it has uh -huh. a battery in it. Uh, there's the 600 film, which is for like all of the legacy 600 Polaroids, uh -huh. 640 ISO with the battery pack in it. Uh -huh. um, and then they created iType, 
which is for their new cameras that have a battery in the camera. Mm -hmm. And so the film cartridge doesn't need a battery in it. So they sell that for like five bucks cheaper because they don't have to put a battery in, in that. Um, but then you can buy adapters and stuff. Like there's uh, companies like Resbot and other things that make like attachments. So you can have an external battery pack on, uh, on a Polaroid. Uh, yeah. You know what? You better stop talking about Polaroid. Cause I don't want to go through that rabbit hole. of. Uh, uh, no. there. <laughs> but there, there is a question here that has been asked a couple of times and I've been dodging a little bit, but uh -huh. it, it keeps coming up. Um, I feel like Dan, is wondering if um, Kodak will ever get back in the instant game and if they will try to resurrect pack film. Yeah, I, you know what, that's, I, I think that's a production thing that manufacturing, that, that would be, you know, Matt, you know, Matt Stoffel yeah. would be someone to, to see whether there's something, you know, the one thing I don't I don't know is that you know if you well the patents must have run out right I mean no uh, Fuji still Fuji still holds them because um, uh -oh. the Polaroid ones are gone but Fuji still has theirs and they refused to give them up um, a few years back oh I see I don't know. I don't think pack like personally. I don't think pack film is ever coming back again. The closest we'll ever get in get to it is the one instant um, from SuperSense. Um, mm, yeah, you know, maybe so. It, it's expensive, it, but like, yeah, yeah. Pack pack film. I I I don't know anything about. Uh, you know, I don't have any research or knowledge about you know pack film at all can't can't really speak to that that's probably something that uh is better directed to to matt or something somebody in uh, kodak's manufacturing operations absolutely oh, sorry so, <laughs> i know like pack film is like uh it's a very upsetting like it's it's almost as upsetting as the spectra topic with polaroid people they get very upset about that stuff it's a very passionate community Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've I never been, I've never been a part of that community, so that's that's just uh, you know foreign foreign to me. Well, we would welcome you with open because <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of us that do the instant film also shoot a lot of the regular film too. And yeah, I I've definitely given a lot more money than I like to think about towards Kodak um, <laughs> with with film. I, yeah, definitely have a bit of a film addiction. Yeah. It's All right. Not no, yeah. not it's not not a bad thing. You know, there's there's other uh, there's other you know vices you could spend your money on. <laughs> I, I feel like Dan says, uh, Tim, I would love to send you a Polaroid, <laughs> <laughs> like a Polaroid photo. Okay. Well, I, I think, I feel like, Dan, maybe send him a DM on the Instagrams and, uh, you know, you could probably work something out there. Yeah. Hopefully it's not like a Polaroid dick pic or something like that, because <laughs> that would be a little weird, but, you know. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. none, of, none, of, none of those, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's... Uh... 
it's heading on, uh, gee, you know, I thought these were going to be an hour, but it looks like we've talked quite a bit. Uh, we have, and yeah, it's, it's Deb, we've, we've gone on here a little bit, and yeah, I want to say thank you so much, Tim. It has been excellent chatting with you. I've had a really great time. Um, it's been great to get to know you more, and I appreciate your passion for the community. Like, you know, it's, it's great to have ambassadors like you out there. No, I, I, uh, I appreciate that. I, you know, thanks for having me on. I, you know you're having fun when you know an hour you know talk ends up like a couple hours right so oh know. wait michael michael's got one more hot take here before we take off with the film shortages have you noticed the film distributors have been gouging price on amazon selling platforms yeah so so the thing about uh amazon is that we you know we don't sell to amazon so i mean i can't i can't speak I mean, I can't speak to Amazon. I, I could say that, you know, if you're, I know that if you're in California, you know, Sammy's camera, or I mean, when I think about the West Coast, right? You know, Sammy's camera, Freestyle, Film Supply Club, there's uh, uh, Looking Glass in Berkeley, there's Glass Key in San Francisco, Pro Photo Spy in Portland, Glazers in Seattle. Uh, of course, there's always like B&H and Adorama and Unique uh, uh, in Canada, you know, Downtown Camera, you know, they do a great job. Photo uh, in Vancouver, can't forget Nicole. No, no, can't forget Nicole. You know, no, never, never. Oh, she's not on. <laughs> Tim, Tim, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get that nasty gram tomorrow in the morning. You know, wake up call. So. <laughs> not at all. Um, but yeah, I guess it, it's tough because you can't control what, what Amazon is doing there, so. No, no, because uh, yeah, I I got a weird request like, oh, you know, I want to buy, I want to buy single rolls of Portrait Four Hundred, and I go, <laughs> we don't sell port single rolls of Portrait Four Hundred, and they said, well, saw it on, I saw it on uh, Amazon, I said, well, we don't sell film to Amazon, so it's it's really hard, it's really hard because we don't determine exit prices, um, so. Most most of the time, everybody is like looking at each other, saying, "Well, I don't want to be too high. I want to be just right." So I mean, I, th I think th for the most part, um, the the dealers that I'm dealing with, are, you know, are trying to be fair. The because <clears throat> we don't we don't say you know what mar margins are so. I'll throw one more plug out there for downtown camera before we wrap up. Yeah. If you are in Canada and you buy film and you're upset about some of the prices, start buying film from downtown camera and sign up for the AMFM program. It's a great program that they have. It's a yearly thing. I think it's like 20 or 25 bucks, but you get a 20% discount on yeah. Kodak products and, um, 10 or 15% discount on the rest of them. So, and they give you a free roll of Kodak film. So they're, yeah, they're, yeah. Uh, their membership program is, is that what, is that what you're talking about? The, uh, 
the, yeah, the AMFM program. Oh, AM, oh, okay. I, you know, I know they had, they had talked about it, uh, uh, but yeah, but you know, Claudia, yeah, Claudia and Harry are, you know, some of my favorite people, no doubt about it. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on, <laughs> on that, Ryan. Yeah, they're, they're just wonderful. Uh, you know, before, before I let you go, I know that I told you I was like a gymnast in, in college, and that's why I kind of chased that's after, right. you know, the gymnast. So I want to just prove to the fact that I, I really was a, a gymnast, and that's, that's me in uh, probably 1975. Yeah, I like it even with the glasses going on. Yeah. So anyway, many, right. many, many pounds ago. Anyway. <laughs> oh, and I, I forgot to point out my Kodak mirror. Oh. I got this old Kodak portrait mirror from way back in the day, where it's like Kodak puts life into pictures professionally. Nice. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but thank you so much, Tim, for your time. Yeah, you're um, welcome. It was great chatting with you. And um, next week, I'm going to have uh, Lucy Lumen from um, Australia, I believe, chatting with me. It's going to be a bit of a later one just because of time zones. Right, so right. I'm going to be talking with her at 8 Pacific, 11 Eastern. Um, so if you can't get on the live, um, I'll definitely have the recordings up afterwards. All right, but, all right. And thank you, Tim. It was so okay. great. And I look forward to meeting you in the future. Yeah, for sure. Look forward to it. Take care. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye now.